listening to the Barcode Podcast with your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Hey, Tony, how's it going? Hey, Chris, what's happening? Actually, I was just driving down here and drove by this dive bar. Really run down place with caution tape in front of it. I noticed there were crime scene investigators on the scene, too. You know what happened? Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, they got popped. With ransomware? Yeah, afraid so. Ransomware gangs have been running rampant, targeting these bars with weak security. Depending on the variant, some of the owners never see it coming. Although once they gain access, they just wreak havoc and destroy the businesses. Ransomware. Why? <laughs> You're telling me, man. I don't know if that place will ever recover. Cops couldn't even get through the encrypted front door with a battering ram. Organizations are getting hit left and right. If there was only a way businesses could function as normal and not even have to worry about it. Yeah, man. Well, are they gangs forcing their way in? Intimidation tactics? Brute force? I mean, these guys run their operations like true organized crime syndicates. Ransomware. Yeah, well, you know, phishing is the most used ransomware attack vector. Using links, attachments, or both, an email phishing attack aims to trick users into taking some sort of action. Then a vulnerability gets exploited, then it's lights out. It's a deadly lure that most organizations cannot stop. Users will click. Huh. On that note, we got a new drink I want you to try out. We call it the Red Hook. So... You get yourself a cocktail glass, you pour two ounces of your favorite rye whiskey. Then you put a half ounce of maraschino liqueur and a half ounce of Italian vermouth. You stir it up, garnish it with a cherry. Boom. Oh, that's good. I'm hooked. Oh, hey, look. Looks like one of them ransomware experts just walked in. Yeah, I know this guy. I'm going to go hit him up, man. Maybe he has an idea on how to stop ransomware. Right on, man. I'll see you next round. Aviv Graffi is the CEO and founder of Otero, an award-winning cybersecurity company specializing in neutralizing weaponized files of all kinds through secure file gateway solutions. Aviv is the principal software architect for Votero's enterprise technologies, which protect against 100% of file-borne cyber threats within an organization. Beyond Votero, Aviv's areas of expertise span the cyber product lifecycle from strategy and development through go-to-market, along with network security, IDS, IPS, firewalls, defensive programming, enterprise pen testing, vulnerability research, and virtualization. Aviv, thanks for stopping by Barcode. Hey, Chris, and thank you, for, of course, for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, tell me about your background. How did you get into the cybersecurity realm? Sure. So uh, first, uh, just to let the audience as well, I'm uh, based in uh, Tel Aviv, Israel. Um, I think um, I mean, uh, on the last uh, 20 plus years, and when I'm in the cybersecurity uh, uh, arena, I uh, started that about uh, probably age of 13 uh, with uh, Linux boxes and, and hacking some stuff. And um, of course, after graduating, I was actually joined the intelligence forces here in Israel 
and uh, was dealing with um, mostly offense and defense operations for several years before I actually uh, moved to the private market uh, where I was doing penetration testing and some other cool stuff before establishing uh, Vutero. So basically, I think uh, my knowledge was uh, uh, starting from high school, went through the intelligence forces and uh, through several companies, startups that I was working for. Very cool. So I'd like to talk to you about the topic of ransomware. It's a major threat across all industries today. Although I quickly want to talk about the evolution and rise of ransomware. You know, the first recorded attack, I believe, was the AIDS Trojan in 1989, where the ransom was only 189 bucks and had to be sent to a P.O. box. So it's come a long way. And I think the development of cryptocurrency has really taken it to a new level. Would you mind talking to that a bit? And from your perspective, how have you seen ransomware development occur and how frequent are organizations getting hit? Sure. So as you mentioned, I think the ransomware uh, is around for several years and the, the roots actually uh, started probably 10 years ago. And before the ransomware, we were all talking about uh, malware, adware, and or viruses on the early days of the uh, malicious uh, piece of codes. But I think the reason, as you mentioned, why uh, ransomware got so popular, I think that maybe need two reasons. One is that it's got very, very easy to produce your own malware. And, and I'll, I'll describe more about that. You can actually find online kits of generating uh, unique malware samples, unique uh, weaponized documents. And it's got very easy to hackers. Actually, you can generate your own campaign uh, on a budget on probably less than $100. You can build your own uh, ransomware campaign. And, but this is, I think, not what actually brought that to the front page. It's mostly, as you mentioned, the cryptocurrencies rise. Uh, as we all know, before we had the anonymous uh, cryptocurrencies, it was pretty hard to get someone to wire something to you because everything can be trackable. But I think thanks to that cryptocurrency rise, it's now got easy to move from malware that was usually destroying stuff. Or maybe if you remember, we had adwords back then, I think 15 years ago, that were presenting, you know, ads and some other stuff on, on mm-hmm. endpoints and then stealing data and, and maybe selling it. But now where it's pretty easy to lock everything up and just ask for money, which is virtually untraceable, just got that industry booming. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It was adware, then you had scareware, and then it sort of morphed into this lucrative business for underworld cyber criminals. Although, you know, ransomware operation centers have become quite sophisticated. They have these customer service centers. They have help desk support, some really intricate infrastructure. Yeah, I would, I would add to that that those organizations are well organized in a way that they have uh, their IT department, they have their recruiting department, uh, they're providing a customer service, as you mentioned. You can find actually um, that you can buy uh, kits for attacking or producing those uh, phishing campaigns. And if you need support, you would get that. They're also providing you, if you buy weaponized documents, some of them providing you a warranty. So if it gets that, uh, caught by uh, one of the traditional solutions, they would give you a replacement instead of that uh, uh, document. And 
all those organizations, and we see, for example, from the last weeks, we saw that it was uh, reported by, uh, if I remember correctly, the uh, crowd, uh, recorded future that uh, carbonic hackers that were responsible, actually, they were responsible for the Cobalt uh, crime group, they were sentenced uh, for eight years in prison. So they, according to that publication, they were stealing uh, more than four and a half million dollars from organization um, over two years using payment cards, using those phishing campaigns that we we're talking about. And this is a big deal. This is actually a, a business, a sector that is growing in some places in the world, as we all know. They even have a payment department that can help you understand how to pay in Bitcoin. Of course, they, they would help you uh, to get the money and get the, their card out of it. And uh, for them, that, that's, that's huge. So there's a wide array of new variants emerging with criminals getting creative in different ways to gain entry into organizations or even with tactics in order to get organizations to pay. What are some of the more clever ways that you have seen over the past, let's say, one year that are evading detections and really getting businesses to consider paying the ransom? Yeah, actually, so what I've seen on the last few years, uh, especially after uh, you know establishing Votero and working specifically on that area, is that uh, organization where they started to receive ransomware, most of them were not very sophisticated. It was mainly uh, generic text, not very targeted from a fake email address. So it was pretty easy also for some of the technologies out there to block it. And it was pretty actually easy for the user to spot it and, and you know, and ignore it. But uh, when we saw more and more threat actors that actually doing their homework. So they were sending emails with uh, the right text, the right uh, format. So it looks like a genuine email. And okay, so that would be uh, harder for the user to, to ignore. But then we see actually on the last, I think it was uh, six months ago or four months ago, we saw with one of our customers that one of the partners was hacked. A law firm was hacked. And um, that mailbox after it was hacked, the hacker was just replying to an existing threat and just saying, uh, okay, they're following our discussion and uh, see the attached file. And for the recipient in the in that company, that financial institution, for them, yeah, I know that guy. So I sh- probably he needs to send me what we talked about in the recent email. So the social engineering got much more clever. That's for sure. That's that's one aspect. The second aspect, and actually they found the ways to evade a lot of the technologies. For example, storing the actual malware of, or malicious document on a shared collaboration platform. We see documents shared on OneDrive, SharePoint, Dropbox, and Box. So it's pretty hard to block those. And the fact that the users say, okay, that makes sense because I'm usually working with uh, Dropbox with that uh, partner makes it even difficult for the user to spot it. So these are some of the techniques and probably there the are more techniques actually to alert that those users to open those malicious documents and as they share that this is a legitimate email and legitimate transaction that lead to that infection ransom installation. That's a great point. Rather than training users on one attack vector, say email, now you're looking at potential infections within the network where a user may feel comfortable with or feel like it is a trusted source. Not always safe. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, as, as you mentioned, email is definitely accountable for 
probably uh, most of the uh, uh, malware and, and ransomware deliveries out there, um, more than 94%. But we, you know, the hackers trying to find that, to find that hole that no one actually is protecting well enough. And it's, you know, for us as the defenders, we need to protect uh, all sources of documents out there. For them, they need to just to find one source of document that is not protected enough. So that's why they move into to those that were considered esoteric uh, years ago. But now we see more and more uh, file sharing collaboration platforms and some others uh, as part of the attack um, uh, chain. So because the development of ransomware has just been so aggressive over the past few years, the development of cybersecurity tool sets aimed to mitigate this risk have sort of been running in parallel. Although ransomware still continues to plague the industry, why are organizations still susceptible to attack if there is an investment into end user training, if there is an investment into EDR? There doesn't seem to be a silver bullet. Yeah, that's correct. I think uh, you mentioned the training um, and phishing awareness and security awareness. This is definitely something that needs to be in place. But uh, it's just not enough. I mean, we cannot really rely on the user. We cannot move the responsibility of the user to spot those uh, malicious emails. And if you think about that, um, even a day after those phishing campaigns where you might get in some organization a near perfect score, just send an email to the entire team and say, oh, there was a problem wiring your paycheck. Please fill in that attached form. All of them going to open that. They just want to do the job. They want to get their paycheck. So I think this is the tension between productivity and security that we're trying to apply security by harming productivity. And this is why this cannot be solved in the traditional ways. So for the awareness, it's, it should be there, but it's not enough. And for the technology, I would mention that EDR and sandboxing technologies are all relying on the same thing. They're trying to find signs or spots for something suspicious going on. Uh, but this is a cat and mouse game. We all know that. So that's why the hackers are faster than us. And as I mentioned, they need only one vulnerability to get into the, uh, the user and the network. So I think the problem is that we're not addressing that as we should be. One is, as I mentioned, the productivity and the security tension that we should find some technique that allows us to keep productivity, but not compromise on security and vice versa. And the idea of trying to find the bad stuff is just working just to some capacity. We all know that EDRs and, and, and definitely the old known AVs uh, and sandboxes, they cannot catch 90%. They're even not catching 80% because of that. Yeah. You made a great point in that the cyber attackers are always ahead of us. And unfortunately, I don't think it's a race we'll ever win because you not only have the ease of use and accessibility to malware these days, but you also have end users focused on business productivity or to complete the compliance checkbox and, and just not always be cognizant of what threats exist. And I'm not blaming them, to be honest. Right. I think that you have end users complete security awareness training in very comprehensive security programs too. Although attackers will take advantage of the human psyche. 
And in many cases, that overrides what those end users have been taught. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think uh, they want to do the job. As you mentioned, when they are under compliance or phishing awareness training, they are aware of that maybe they failed the previous training. So now they will just want to pass that test. And it's like, uh, uh, you know, getting uh, that driver license, but then, you know, not uh, having the seatbelt on. We do know from, from its stats that uh, actually phishing emails with, uh, with attachment, the failure rate in those uh, testing and training is uh, much higher than links. Because, you know, attachment seems to be, uh, okay, I have it in my hand. This is here. This is in my email client. This is on my phone. I would just open it. It's not just, I'm not sure what I'm clicking on, whether it takes me to a different browser or something else. And, and apparently, um, what we've seen is that phishing emails with attachments actually much more likely to be open, uh, than links. Very true. So. Most of us are familiar with the cyber kill chain, although for those that aren't aware, it's essentially a series of steps that trace the anatomy of a cyber attack from phase one, which is recon, all the way to data exfiltration. Where does ransomware fall into the cyber kill chain? And would you be able to explain how it gets to that state? Sure. So the cyber kill chain, that's a term that uh, was coined by uh, Lockheed Martin uh, years ago, but I found it actually pretty good and pretty relevant for, for these days as well. As for those who are not familiar with it, we're talking about uh, having those steps of uh, research, research of the target. And maybe just an example, let's say that hacker want to execute, execute uh, an attack on a financial institution, let's say one of the banks. And they say, okay, I want to understand who, who is the bank and, uh, now I want to choose that department that I want to target. So let's say I want to target the department that gets a lot of documents, let's say the uh, HR or recruiting company, recruiting department. So once we have that target, we're moving to the weaponization phase, which means I need to get that malware tied to a deliverable payload. It means I need to get either a Microsoft Office file, a weaponized one, or a PDF, or maybe a zip file with something in it. I have to get that into something that I can actually deliver. And the next thing is actually do that delivery. And Bobby, as I mentioned, email is the easiest one. That's the cheapest one for hackers, but it can be also delivered, you know, using a, a file sharing platform or even thumb drives, those old thumb drives that we used to carry. And once this is being delivered and the exploitation is being done, means uh, the attachment is being opened. That's it. The next day, just the malware can be just installed on the target. And this is practically game over. And maybe if you have an EDR, just need to cope with something that is already practically installed. And for that ransomware, the only thing that needs to be done is to communicate with the, with the command and control and just, uh, you know, encrypt everything. And that's it. So this is basically those steps for the, uh, for the kill chain. And for what we've seen, the ransomware actually implementing all those steps, including the weaponization and delivery as well. So Votero has a unique approach to help prevent ransomware attacks. How does your solution address this issue? Yeah, I think just to give that the background to, uh, to the audience, when, uh, um, when I started to, uh, to do my research, it was years ago before uh, uh, establishing Votero, I found that one technique, as I mentioned, maybe to, uh, uh, to hack uh, kind of a, a bank, there is something that's always working, just sending that weaponized document. 
And that weaponized document is part of that weaponization and delivery. It's a mandatory step towards the installation of, of uh, ransomware. If that step would fail, the ransom won't be installed. Most of the solution these days are trying to find or stop that malware installation or even, even encryption post installation. And we found that and I found that just too late. If we'd be focusing on the weaponization and delivery means once every document that goes into the organization need to actually uh, be disarmed. So anything that might be malicious won't be in a post uh, processing that malware won't be installed. And this is the idea uh, behind Vertura, not trying to find the bad stuff in the document that goes in. We actually, what we know to do is to uh, deconstruct the document and reconstruct it in a, a safe way. It means we're generating a replica, which is, feels exactly the same as the original, but without anything that might be malicious. And by delivering a 100% safe files, we allow the user just to open any document without the need to think twice. Got it. And this is using what you call positive selection technology. That's correct. So behind, I mean, under the hood, what we're doing, let's say, for example, there is an email coming with attachment, let's say, uh, Word document. That Word document might contain something malicious, let's say, a malicious macro um, or something else. By uh, applying positive selection means instead of selecting the negative part of document and then trying to uh, exclude it, that's most of the solution out there, trying to to select the, the negative parts in, in documents. This is impossible because, as we mentioned, hackers are just faster than us. We actually are turning the problem on its head. We're not looking for the bad stuff. We positively selecting the good parts. We're selecting only the positive parts. And then by taking all those parts, let's say if you have a Word document, so the text, the links, bookmarks, structure, paragraphs, images, all of it, and then reconstructing that to a safe Word document, delivering that, we allow the users to get that 1% safe document by uh, doing the selection only for the positive parts. Man, I love that approach because that's the point. You aren't relying on the end user to be conscious of the threat at that time. They can click away and perform their standard workflows without executing one malicious file. Exactly. That's exactly that. And, and it's not just that it's being done in millisecond because that's, deterministic uh, approach. It's not relying on detonating the file. It's not relying on executing, not relying even on signatures because we know what are the positive parts. We know that text is safe. We know that uh, those paragraphs and, and images post our reconstruction are safe. So by doing that process, which is done in milliseconds, we allow every file to go in blazing fast, 100% safe. And this is for documents, uh, but also, as I mentioned, not for email, but not just for email. As, as we're introducing the solution uh, um, across the sources of documents, as I mentioned. So let's say, for example, we have uh, I've shared with you about the OneDrive and SharePoint. Uh, all those uh, platforms are actually being protected by Vertura as well because you, you get documents, travels into the organization from those. And we see more and more usages uh, of web downloads, email, and file sharing. Yeah, you mentioned speed. and. That's a crucial component when organizations are performing a product evaluation. Would you be able to highlight Votero's architecture and then help us understand how you're able to keep speed a factor 
without causing performance impact? Sure. So with your Securify Gateway, that SaaS that provides off uh, Vertier's cloud and agentless security for uh, every document that comes into the organization means we can attach uh, the email traffic through Vertier Cloud before it hits the corporate uh, email network, either Office 65 or their on-prem exchange. Uh, we can also connect the Vertier Cloud service to web downloads uh, or file sharing services uh, without installing a thing on the premise or thank God without installing a thing on the endpoints. Okay. Got it. If you think about uh, a document, a document is uh, there is specification for that document format. So by understanding the document format, reading it, and of course we're doing that, the customer doesn't need to know anything about documents. We're the experts here. So, by reading the format and extracting the content, pasting it on a clean template, we're allowing that to be done in milliseconds. There is no need for detonation. That's how we implemented the basic process. Now, we implemented that for a variety of file types and file formats like office documents like words, Excel, PowerPoints, PDFs, but also images and also archives like zip files and, and etc. So we know how to do that and we are uh, main solution is offered in the SaaS. So we're hosting that on our cloud, doing that using our resources and the customer, actually the end user doesn't need to know a thing. So when the document is gets to Vertero, it can be either by email integration with Office 65 or any other email provider or integrating with the uh, browser or the uh, file sharing platform. It goes through Vertero first and then in less than a second, it lands in the user a designated destination without him even knowing that we were there. Yeah, that's incredible. How about addressing the remote workforce? And also, have you seen an increase in attempted ransomware attacks to those who may be home and more comfortable and possibly more distracted than if they were in the office? Yes, actually, the fact that we're deployed on the uh, uh, corporate, before the corporate email traffic or email servers or the mailbox, we're actually protecting from all those uh, email and find downloads based attacks. Uh, we don't need to be deployed on the, uh, on the end user machine or even we saw an uh, organization that went with uh, bring your own device, uh, in the first months of the COVID, the pandemic. Um, so they were protected as well. But uh, I think one thing I've learned also from my personal experience with you know, running, running a company where we all were and had to work from home for, uh, um, several months is that, uh, there were a lot of destructions. I mean, we, I had the, the kids running around and now someone needed to, to get uh, a file for me. So yeah, hold on a second. Let me just open the laptop, send that <laughs> or maybe replying to someone. And to be honest, we were, it was easier to do mistakes in that way. So uh, what we've seen is that, you know, employees were working from home and not always um, you know, understanding the impact of what they're doing. So basically they were used to working in an office. So I can just, uh, you know, go to your uh, office and say, uh, Chris, um, regarding the email you just sent me, do you really need that? But now I'm working from home. I'm not asking that question. And if I have a presentation, um, that I need to watch in, in two hours, it's highly reasonable that I would get a present, the, an email with, the presentation for today's meeting and I will just open that presentation because I really have a presentation in two hours. So I think the pandemic 
um, actually raised a lot of uh, um, social engineering opportunities for hackers that were not exist uh, uh, earlier or not as easy as it today. Yeah, I appreciate that approach where you're safe anywhere, right? You're always on the go. Uh, does Votero offer support for mobile devices? So as we work on the corporate uh, uh, infrastructure, so emails and web downloads, which are proxies or anyway protected by Votero, if you think about your corporate uh, uh, email, which you consume through your phone, all the emails that you read of your phone are already protected. Awesome. So we spoke about the work from home use case and have really been focused on ransomware throughout this conversation. Although I'm curious to know what other use cases can Votero help organizations solve? One of the things that we uh, see more and more, definitely in the last uh, years, that uh, thanks to the digital transformation, uh, we see uh, organizations moving their applications to the cloud. Now, if you think about um, application that needs to get uh, content from end users or from clients or for you know any any uh, uh, cloud or any uh, client facing portal out there, you need to get documents. And uh, they used to store those documents for processing on their back end, and it used to be five servers in the organization. Back then, we had uh, the EDRs or the AVs that were running on the five servers, and um, we're compliant. But now when we moved everything to the cloud, now I might be storing those uh, loan documents that I'm receiving from clients on my AWS S3 buckets. Or maybe I would be storing those on Amazon, Amazon, sorry, on Azure file storage or blob storage. And there's nothing protecting those documents at rest. And if the, the banker or the loan processing department need to open those documents, those license um, driver license copy, stuff like that, they would open those documents without any protection. And that's something a lot of organizations are realizing recently. And, and that's why we're seeing more and more uh, demand for mature solution for cloud storage. That's what we um, um, see. And a lot of those uh, cloud storage services can be uh, can benefit from Kira by uh, providing disarmed and safe documents and allowing the business, which is the most important thing in those cases, allowing the business just to open any file without the need to think twice. And uh, actually a lot of peace of mind, both for the CISOs and for the employees. Yep. Great point. I'm interested to know about your technology partner integration. Are there any key integration points that we should be aware of? Yeah, sure. So we have a tight integration with the security, with other security vendors like if you're familiar with the, uh, for example, the uh, Office 65, uh, which is the email provider, uh, this is one. But uh, also we have a tight integration with the web isolation vendors like uh, Meno Security, Broadcom Fireglass, uh, and uh, those solutions plays well together. So uh, essentially we, uh, by integrating with the Broadcom Semantic or with some others, every download can be intercepted and, and disarmed. Uh, when we integrate with Menlo, we can provide a safe documents right to the desktops. And as I mentioned, we have integration with some uh, email providers uh, and also file sharing platforms like Box and uh, SharePoint. You mentioned O365. You know, a lot of organizations are making the push to go strictly O365. So having that integration is crucial. Yeah, and I think customers understand that. Also, we've seen that trend where enterprises, the I mean, that was 
it's unbelievable that it was less than two years ago that huge enterprises, top the top banks in the country, they they were asking for having some of the solution on their premises back then. Now, where it's there, I mean, as part of the pandemic, it's they're struggling to spin new servers. Everyone are moving to the cloud. They don't want to maintain any exchange servers. They want to maintain any security solution on the premise. So we see, we saw a huge spike for our cloud service. One aspect I'd like to bring up are industries such as healthcare, where not only are there critical legacy applications in place, but the elevated impact of if one of those systems were to be compromised. It may not be data at risk. It may be someone's lifeline at risk. Will Votero's platform address those organizations with critical infrastructure that may hold assets that extend way beyond data? And if so, what is the approach? I think that the critical infrastructure piece is relevant for more and more sectors these days. But manufacturing, but uh, mostly healthcare, as you mentioned, where they're relying on a lot of document traffic coming in. If you think about um, healthcare organization, they get tons of uh, doctor reports and uh, some other documents from even in insurance companies, getting those documents from their clients, from their partners, from hospitals, from clinics. They they first, they cannot afford ransomware because that effectively affecting the business, but also the reputation. And the, as you mentioned, very risky. It's not like having a company which are not dealing with documents coming in. And, and this is something we see more and more. And, and as we know, those third party risk, uh, uh, based organization, like, uh, as I mentioned, the healthcare, those are organizations that uh, mostly would benefit from solutions like material. Now, what we've seen, so we have our cloud solutions. Some of them are actually asking us to, this to be deployed near their cloud or or even on the premise. And sometimes the use cases are very unique. Um, if you have a legacy file transfer protocol, this is something that uh, sometimes we provide a solution for that as well. Uh, a lot of those organizations, they're relying on those uh, 20 or 30 years uh, data transfer protocols. Uh, to name some of them, some of them are, you know, those... Uh, uh, the known <laughs> FTP, FTPS, uh, but some of them relying on managed file transfers. And for them, they cannot change that uh, mechanism because changing that would affect all their partners, but they have to put something on it. Uh, that's where we see a lot of healthcare companies protecting their uh, legacy uh, source of documents uh, by applying material. And uh, to be honest, some of it using our SaaS, but mostly and we, we understand that we're deploying that uh, on their cloud. I see. How about an environment with an air gap network or maybe a hybrid environment where a lab is air gapped, although files can still enter and get run locally on an off network device? We usually see that kind of uh, deployments usually in governments or in manufacturing um, uh, infrastructures. Okay. And uh, the solution that we're recommending our customers is to have uh, deploy uh, Votero secure file gateway. So every document, every file that comes into the internal segregated network has to go through Votero secure file gateway, which has one leg um, on the outside interface saying, if you want to get 
document in, you have to, uh, it has to be uh, processed by Vatero. And of course, once it uh, cleansed and approved, it uh, uh, routed to the internal network. So that's usually, uh, that's an automatic system. So every file, for example, lands in a specific uh, folder or being consumed from a specific source is being processed and then being uh, shared into the internal uh, server. Uh, this is usually the architecture. Uh, we're seeing less uh, USB thumb drive based deployments. To be honest, we're seeing less uh, usage of that. I don't think that in five or 10 years from now, we'll still be, you know, carrying these. Yeah. And again, it's protection from all angles, right? Um, so Aviv, you are based in Israel where hopefully the pandemic is in its final phase as it is here in the U.S. Yeah. After a long day of combating the threat of cybercrime, are there any cool bars you go to or would recommend us to go to? Yeah, I think there's uh, one of the, uh, I think there are two places that I would say uh, in Tel Aviv that I would say that if someone coming to visit here, I would recommend. One is a cool wine place called Tasting Room, which allows you with the uh, automatic kind of dispenser of wine with plenty of great Israeli and, and also uh, foreign wines, uh, red and, and white wines that I would definitely recommend for anyone here. This is uh, uh, in the Sarona market area in Tel Aviv. Um, I think this is the first place I would recommend. The second place probably I would recommend that's uh, uh, cool bar restaurants with plenty of draft beers called uh, uh, Porter and Sons. It's also in, in Tel Aviv. I would think that those two places, one for the wine lovers and the second one for the, for the beer addicts, I think, uh, <laughs> great choices here. Nice. Well, I'm making a hit list of bars mentioned on the show that I'd like to go to. And this one's definitely on that list. So I just heard last call here. You have time for one more? Sure. If you opened a cybersecurity themed bar, what would the name be and what would your signature drink be called? If I would open a cybersecurity bar, hopefully I would do that. Uh, before retirement, um, I would probably, I would call it, uh, the bar would name, uh, the name would probably a local host. I think, uh, nice. that's the name I would choose for that. Yeah. As, uh, this is our home. So I would call it local host and, uh, probably the signature drink as I would think it, uh, probably I would call it, uh, the root drink. If I'm coming, if all of us want to get that root access, want to protect that, this is the best thing that we can have. So coming to the bar- bartender asking for the root drink, I think that would be the best. Nice. So I like that angle. Number one, for those that need to find it, what will be the address of localhost? Oh, so, I mean, that would be pretty easy. It's one, two, seven, zero, zero, one, but, uh, street. <laughs> oh, undisclosed street. It's not really needed in order to find it, right? Exactly. And then secondly, root access. It's what the attackers or the bar patrons are after. Exactly. You got to the local host and now you want to root access. That's exactly it. Perfect, man. Hey, I want to mention to our audience that Barco will be hosting an interactive webinar with Votero July 13th at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll get the registration link up on the Barco website and you can register, ask questions. We can get into a more of a technical deep dive if you want. And so I'm really looking forward to that. Hey, thanks, Aviv. Really appreciate you joining me today and sharing your knowledge. Stay safe. We'll see you soon. Great. Thank you very much, Chris, for hosting me. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. And of course, uh, looking forward for our next call. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. 
Barcode patrons. If you like this episode and would like to support the podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and visit our Patreon site, patreon.com slash barcode podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, check out the barcodepodcast.com slash sponsor. Cheers. Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.